egotistical, so unpredictable Here on the SNL Network Yes, that is right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of SNL Stories here on the SNL Network. My name is John Schneider from the SNL Network, and I am so excited to bring you a very special conversation that we are having today with a legendary member of the SNL band. So I'm excited to introduce our guest in just a moment. But first, it is my co-pilot on all the SNL Stories podcasts, the great James Stevens. James, how are you? I am so excited to speak to our guest today because uh, he's just uh, he's played with everybody. So this is this is going to be a real treat. Yes, absolutely. And without further ado, it is my honor to introduce one of the original members of the Saturday Night Live band. It's also been uh, very much a part of the uh, house band for David Letterman for a long time. And uh, and obviously uh, an integral part of the Blues Brothers, which we're going to get into because the Blues Brothers have a very special event coming up this weekend. It is the legendary Tom Bones Malone. Tom, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me on your show today. Of course, of course. It is my pleasure. So, um, Tom, we have so many questions for you about your time at Saturday Night Live. This is SNL Stories, so we want to get some of those great stories about your time there and, of course, talk a little bit about the Blues Brothers. But, uh, Tom, I have to start with asking you, how did you come to Saturday Night Live? Obviously, there's a lot of stories we've heard about, you know, the cast and the crew and how everything started at the beginning. But as a member of the band, how did you end up joining the show? Well, I, I moved to New York one day. I called a, a, a friend and I said, can I crash on your floor? And he says, yes. So I moved up from, checked everything I needed on the plane and moved from Texas to New York. And I'm crashing on this guy's floor. And and then he goes out on the road, back on the road with Woody Herman's band, and I inherit this cheap apartment. So my friend Hannibal Marvin Peterson calls me up from Texas. He's a, a black uh, trumpet, jazz trumpet player and a soul singer. And he says, can I come up and crash on your floor? And I said, sure, come on up. So he immediately started working with uh, Rasan Roland Kirk, the guy who plays three saxophones at the same time. And he also started playing with um, Gil Evans Orchestra. Uh, you may remember Gil Evans as being the, the best jazz arranger who arranged for Miles Davis, Sketches in Spain, Miles Ahead, Porgy and Bess, uh, et cetera. Old bottle yeah. man. Uh, so anyway, so and one night he says, I got two gigs tonight. He says, the one with Gil Evans doesn't pay anything. He says, you want to sub for me on trumpet? I said, sure. So I went down there and I met all these people that changed the rest of my life. Howard Johnson, David Sanborn, uh, uh, Dave Bargeron, uh, Lou Soloff, uh, Bruce Dittmus, uh, on and on and on. Anyway, um, Bruce, uh, uh, Howard Johnson and I hit it off. And they, when they put the band together for Saturday Night Live, they called Howard Johnson to put the horn section together. And so he, Howard liked me because I played tuba like he plays, and I played a whole bunch of different instruments like he plays. And so uh, we became good friends, and uh, he recommended me for the gig. Yeah, it, it's just uh, incredible to think back to that, those days. Um, so... Uh, one question I, I do want to ask, and then I'll, I'll pass it over to James as well, is, uh, you know, when I go back and I watch the first few years of the show, and that's something that it seems like uh, fans of all eras, all generations are going back and they're watching those first five years. Uh, they're on DVD now, so they're easily accessible. To me, the, one of the most fascinating parts is seeing how much the band is a part of almost every sketch it's it's really incredible it's so different to than what we see now and i love that 
that was a part of the like beginnings of the show because it really felt like a bit of a variety show at first when things first started where um, we have in the second episode, I think Paul Simon hosts the show. It's a very musical episode. And I just find music is so important to the beginnings of the show. Why do you think that was? Well, um, if you uh, view, view television from a historic viewpoint, you will find that all the bands in 1975 were big bands. Every TV show had a big band. You know, you had Doc Severinsen's band on the Tonight Show, and every 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 show had a big band. And this was a change of musical styles for house bands. And ever since Saturday Night Live started, all the new bands are not big bands anymore. You know, Conan O'Brien, all the you know all the shows that started after Saturday Night Live followed sort of followed our uh, rock and roll band, soul band. Um, format so that was it that was a big change absolutely yeah, for sure well and, and i think the other thing john uh you're you know uh tom you know in his early years yes the the the, the band style but also the extra spotlight, I think, that the house band got. Like, you know, you're playing St. James Infirmary. You know, you did the Cuban feet, uh, Cuban uh, Pete with with Desi. I mean, there were these 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 cutaway from sketches. There's musical guests, but also special attention to the to the house band back in the day, which I just thought was was, was super special. Well, it was a, it was a new sound, uh, and. Yeah. Uh, 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 I was I was just uh, proud to be a big part of that as as a musical arranger, uh, and, and it was a kind of nice place to be as a as a New York studio musician because people see you on TV and you're identified with a new style of music. You're not a you're not a Woody Herman or a Buddy Rich or uh, you're you're identified with a, a rock and roll. Got I, you know long hair, beard, you know uh, all hippied out, and uh, it was a good place to be seen. And uh, I you know started picking up studio work. Uh, met all kinds of people on the show too. Um, you remember a group called The Band from Woodstock? Okay, so they came on the show in the spring of 76 and um, they, they asked me to write some horn arrangements. The music director of the show asked me to write some horn arrangements. So I wrote three horn arrangements for the band and I hit it off with all of them and they took me on tour during the summer of 76. And uh, I was in a movie called The Last Waltz in, on Thanksgiving 1976. After that, I played with a band called Levon Helm and the RCO All Stars, Paul Butterfield, Booker T. Jones, Dr. John, Lou Marini, Alan Rubin, Howard Johnson, and myself, uh, Duck Dunn, and Steve Cropper. You know, it was really an all star band. We made a couple of albums, uh, did a few gigs, but uh, uh, it, it, it was a good place to put myself into circulation uh, as a musician for other artists. You know, we had four months off in the summer, too, at Saturday Night Live. So that was. You know, well, in the first season, you actually had a couple of summer shows. We, yeah, well, that's we, true. They would do yeah. reruns all all summer, but um, you know, we, you know, we had basically had four months off, so it was it was kind of nice. Hey, real quick, let me interject with one thing because uh, not related to the show or any show specifically. Here's what I find fascinating about Tom. For those of you that don't know, I mean, Tom Bones Malone, obviously Bones Trombone. We know Trombone, but. Tom is like, tell us how, how, how does this happen? You really play like almost every instrument, sir. You are not normal in, in a very good way. Well, I'm working on right now. I'm working on my own album. It's a, it's a one man, big band album. Uh, typical song is two alto saxes, two tenor saxes, baritone sax, four trumpets, three trombones and a bass trombone, a piano, bass and drums. And I just, I do it at my house in my studio. And you play I it all. A Neumann U87 microphone and uh, Pro Tools 11. 
So uh, uh, I just crank it out one tr- one track at a time. And I don't think anybody <laughs> else does that. No. <laughs> yeah, it's incre- it's really incredible. Um, can I I'll ask, like, guys, so I'll send you guys some stuff too if you want to hear it. I would love to. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Totally. Let's get in some place. Yeah. Um, so I would love to know, Tom. I mean, during those first like couple of years, you're at the show. Obviously, you're talking about uh, you know going or you know working with the band after you know a year of working at SNL. Was there anybody that you met at the show in the first year that just like you couldn't believe? You're like, wow, I get to work with this person. Or it was there like a feeling of just like surrealness as your the show is growing and your status is growing as well. Well, uh, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, and um, uh, Bill Murray uh, come to mind because they were just uh, uh, super talented and, and, and you know, we, we all became friends. Yeah, that's for sure. Do you have any interesting stories about any of the cast members and your experience working with them at the time? Well, um, I may have told you this story before. Uh, 1978, uh, our, general, general, our general production schedule was... Uh, we did three shows and we had a week off. So during the week off in March 1978, Danny and John uh, went to San Francisco for the week just to hang out. And they stayed up all night Saturday night with uh, a harmonica player named Curtis Salgado. Uh, he was part of the Robert Cray Blues Band. And they stayed up all night listening to blues records. Now, now, John was from Chicago, but he had no idea about Chicago blues. He was like a garage rock and roll drummer. And, but Dan Aykroyd was part of the uh, blues scene in Toronto. He used to hang out at X-Ray McRae's club uh, on Queen Street. And he was, you know, he played harmonica and he, he knew all about the history of blues. So airplane the next day, they're flying home from San, uh, San Francisco and they start. Uh, Dan starts telling John about the history of blues in Chicago. You know how people came up from the Delta and Mississippi, jumped on the train, went to Memphis, jumped on the train again and went to uh, Chicago. So uh, on the plane, they started coming up with these characters that were sort of ne'er-do-well. Uh, guy just gets out of jail <laughs> and uh, uh, ne'er-do-well guys who wear sunglasses day and night. And they were orphans. They had very little emotional response. So they're working on the characters. I was at the first meeting. Uh, the music director, Howard Shore, calls me. He says, can you meet with John and Danny for an arrangement? Uh, Two o'clock on Monday, two p.m. on Monday at John's office, and they explained the, the characters they were developing, and they wanted me to write an arrangement of, uh, uh, let's see, what was the name of the song? Was it King B? Uh, no, this is this is this is this is uh, after King B, um, but they actually came up with these real these characters. Uh, uh, it was a James Cotton song, uh, mm-hmm. so I wrote the arrangement. We did it for Lauren Michaels. Didn't make the show. Lauren <laughs> really? shot us. Lauren shot us down. Uh, and so the next week, they're still John and Danny are still excited about the Blues Brothers. So I did a range of a song called "Hey Bartender," and I so we rehearsed the Saturday Night Live band. We did it for Lauren Michaels. Lauren says, "Frankly, I don't see anything funny about the Blues Brothers." So week number three, and John, Danny, Blues Brothers. Well, they said, uh, "Well, if Lauren doesn't like it, we're wasting our time if we're not going to get on." So. Um, I agreed. Uh, after read through Wednesday about three fifteen, Lauren, Lauren comes out of read through and he says, the, "The show's three minutes short. What are we going to do?" John and Danny uh, jumped on him. Lauren, the Blues Brothers. So Lauren said, "We have nothing worthwhile to put in those three minutes. You guys might as well make fools of yourselves." He put us on, and I guess the rest is history. 
indeed indeed yeah that's that is crazy story uh, we, we had, at a certain point uh you know we did we did that a couple of times and then john and danny decided they wanted to form a band that was separate from the blues brothers it was the saturday it was going to be the blues brothers band and so they chose uh, lou marini and myself and uh paul schaefer and steve jordan from the saturday night live band and uh, i was going to be the horn arranger and they uh John said, it's up to you if you need another horn. So I hired Alan Rubin, who was playing trumpet in the house band there at Saturday Night Live. Uh, and I recommended Duck Down and Steve Cropper because I had played with them with Levon Helms band and I knew they would fit the band. And at that point, the, the band style of the band changed from just Chicago blues to Memphis rhythm and blues too. You know, they've sort of brought that music in that they had uh, helped create in Memphis uh, Sam and Dave Soul Man. That was, uh, you know, it was not Chicago blues. That was Memphis soul music. And so we branched out into playing other stuff besides just Chicago blues. Uh, and and uh, so one night while we were organizing the band, we were over at John's place at 60 Morton Street, Greenwich Village. And um, John says, well, now we have a Matt Guitar Murphy and a Donald Duck Dunn. So everybody has to have a middle name. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I, I just immediately said, Tom Bones Malone. It was a nickname I got in high school because I was tall and thin, you know, skin and bones. So a friend called me Tom Bones Malone, and uh, uh, he doesn't even remember giving me the nickname, but I, I certainly credited him with that. Lou Marini's standing next to me, and he says, how about Blue Lou Marini? Perfect. Uh, John says, if you can't come up with a name yourself, we'll make one up for you. So he made up Alan, Mr. Fabulous Rubin, and he made up Steve, the Colonel Cropper, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That's that amazing. Is, that, that is amazing. Sorry, John. Yeah, I, I I did not know that story. That's great. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Did at the time. So the Blues Brothers, they're starting up, and you know this this thing is coming together. Could you have ever imagined that the Blues Brothers would have gotten as big as they did, or was this something maybe at the beginning that was a little bit more fun than potentially this like professional venture that you were you know starting down? Well, I had played with rock and roll bands since I was 14. I started playing tenor sax in a rock and roll band. Some, some kids came over to my house and like, we're starting a band. You want to play in 1960? So I got out my trombone and they looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, what's up? And they said, we don't have trombones in rock and roll bands. I said, well, I want to be in the band. I want to hang with the cats. I want to meet girls. You know, so I want, what do I have to do? And they said, you got to play saxophone. So my friend had an alto and a tenor sax with him that night, and he started showing me how to play saxophone. And I was motivated to learn how to play it. And we were we were doing gigs in a month. We worked out some arrangements that night, some horn arrangements. Uh, so that that music, uh, uh, blues brothers style music, is a, a you know big part of my upbringing, and it was just a natural thing. That uh, uh, yes, I'm surprised that it went as big as it did. You know, I was just playing the music that I had already always played, and uh, boom. Yeah, it's it's incredible. So uh, before we go so far down the Blues Brothers, because I we have several questions I think we want to we want to address about Blues Brothers. But backing up to some SNL and some of the other cast, you know, I just think about some of the other iconic musical moments and just wondering, Tom, if you have any memories or stories, insight to share, like some that come to mind are like King Tut, Candy Slice, Chevy's Girls was was one that I always really loved. Um, you know, anything from from those days of putting those together and, and uh, just memories, I guess. Candy Slice was a lot of fun. I was the, the bass player. I might have been shirtless, trying to remember. Uh, but uh, 
Yeah, uh, and, and and she was she played into it, and, and Bill Murray was you know pretending to be the record company executive, and uh, uh, that was really big fun. And when she when she went to Broadway, uh, I was supposed to be the bass player on, on her Broadway show, and instead of doing her Broadway show, I did the movie The Blues Brothers. Paul Schaefer stayed with the the Broadway show, but uh, right. uh, you know, she was just a great, just full of energy, and 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 she was like that twenty four seven too. She, you know, some people they hit the stage and they act crazy, and then the rest of the time they're sort of normal people. But uh, she was twenty four seven funny, just like Martin Short. You know, he never turns it off. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. We're and we're talking about Guild Alive, right? That was at the Winter yes. Garden there, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just want to ask you uh, about another cast member that was really musically inclined and was actually sort of a musical guest on one of the episodes originally, which was Garrett Morris. Uh, Garrett seemed to always like love to sing and have his moments where he could, he just had this incredible voice. Do you have any memories of working on anything with Garrett? Yes. I always remembered his voice. I mean, he just, uh, he was just a natural, he did a natural singer and bang. Uh, we were good friends. Uh, that, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, oh, uh, uh, King Tut, uh, <laughs> Steve Martin. That was a funny bit too. Lou Marini comes out of the coffin playing the sax with a gold face. Uh, those were all all stuff that I got to arrange and, and, and be involved in. Once again, I think I was sort of shirtless again. But uh, so, yeah, so I was going to ask. That, so yes, that is one. Prepared. That's your arrangement then, right? Of, of yes, King yes. Tut. All those. All those were my arrangement. Uh, uh, all nurse band. Yeah. Uh, the all yeah that was another thing john yeah we had the all nurse band we had we do had a couple different costume yeah, how changes come, how come different... howard shore gets all the credit for that when tom clearly wrote uh, <laughs> one of these arrangements yeah well, I, I, he was a music director i wrote the arrangements and uh, actually i was uh i was a music director from 81 to 85 you, you right. probably remember that as being um uh jim 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 belushi uh billy crystal martin short uh eddie murphy yeah. Piscopo. Uh, that was pretty much the period that I was I was the MD for. So, uh, you know, I got to got the big credit. So, when you came back for that as a music director, what uh, what was that experience uh, like? You were you were in the band and you wrote charts, but also you had uh, you put the band together and you had some say on uh, musical guests, booking some acts, maybe. Absolutely, and, and I worked I worked with the writers. You know, a lot of times uh, the, the writers would come up with a routine for somebody. Like the white guy rap I was telling you about with Jim Belushi, uh, or the uh, uh, Eddie Murphy's Hot Tub. You remember that? Yeah, James Brown, of course. Yeah, James Brown. Yeah. Uh, I remember you guys have a good shot at the back of uh, what was it? Uh, uh, James Brown plays Annie. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and that was another stuff like that. I was always involved with, uh, uh, but it was always fun. And you know Eddie Murphy, just natural talent. Once again, somebody that can sing and dance and just do do anything. Amazing talent. Have you had any interaction with him since uh, you both left this show? Paths cross at all? Oh, uh, Eddie would come on uh, uh, Letterman once in a while, and, and you know we would have a moment. Uh, a lot sure. of you know Dan Aykroyd would come on the show, and we would do something. Oh, Rocket eighty eight was the name of the song by James Cotton, the first Blues Brothers song. And we never recorded the song, actually. We never came back and recorded it. But when Dan Eckerd came on uh, Letterman and we did Rocket 88 with him singing and playing harmonica. That's so cool. Yeah, so it was the beginning and the end of the Blues Brothers. Well, I uh, can't say it's the end of the Blues Brothers. You know, we're, we've got big plans this Friday. 
<laughs> right, which we're going to talk about uh, coming up real soon. Um, so uh, I would love to know, I mean, you know, for a lot of our younger listeners, uh, if they go back and they watch, um, you know, those few years, the Ebersol era, where you are the musical director, yes. some of the hosts are a little bit understated compared to the first five years of the show, where, you know, I think there was a little bit of like, oh, well, Lauren Michaels is gone, the cast is different, is SNL what it was? But it's really, if you go back and you watch, the musical guests of that era are absolutely fantastic. And it's great to hear that you had a lot to do with booking some of them, because like, I go through the list of the, you know, those few seasons and some of the acts are like some of the biggest names in the world that are there when Saturday Night Live wasn't necessarily considered to be at its peak. And I have to say credit, all credit to you, Tom. Right. Well, yeah, there were, there were uh, a lot of, um, a lot of big production moments. Oh my goodness. Uh, uh, so who was the girl that put, had the record called physical? Uh, that would be Olivia Newton-John. Oh, Olivia Newton-John. Yeah. Yeah. Olivia Newton-John, passed, yeah. Sadly just, just passed away. But uh, so I saw on the schedule, the, the talent coordinator, oh, uh, Living Newton-John's going to be on the show next week. Oh, my goodness. What time does the band load in? She doesn't have a band. It's a studio album. And, you know, physicals on the top of the charts. And so I had to put three songs together from scratch, you know, staying up all night. Uh, yeah. Uh, but she was delight to work with. So talented. Great singer. Just a gracious person. And. Uh, uh, um, Robert Plant, Robert Plant on the Honey Drippers, Robert Plant from uh, Led Zeppelin. He did a solo album. You know, oh, they're going to be on the show next week. Well, what time does the band load in? They don't have a band. It was a studio album. So I had to put that together, too. And uh, I put together a hot band for him. That was, that was really, really fun to work with him. You know, legendary uh, who didn't like Led Zeppelin. Also, there was there was Stevie Wonder too, which uh, to me was like an episode that I'll always remember. Do you remember oh, anything yeah. about Stevie coming oh, in? Stevie Stevie Wonder, what a talent! I worked with Stevie Wonder when he was sixteen in Albuquerque and El Paso uh, back when I was in college, and uh, he kind of took me in as a friend for some reason. He he said at the time he was just recording the songs that were written by the Motown staff writers. He says. Um, I'm writing my own songs, man. You want to check it out? And he had a, a you know, a nice uh, cassette recorder and some good headphones. So he let me listen to this music, and it, it just blew my mind. I said, "Man, this is so great, man! Who played on this?" He says, "I played everything: bass, piano, drums, organ, guitar, uh, all the vocals." And you know, it, 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 it hits something inside me. You know what? Well, if he can do it, I can do it. So, you know, I'm now doing my one man band, but he was he was really fun to work with. I worked with him several times in my career uh, on on television uh, since, you know, he was 16. And he always remembers me. Hey, Stevie, it's Tom, the trumpet player from Albuquerque. And he said, <laughs> I said great, great. How you been? Blah, blah, blah. Last time, uh, Letterman, 2014, I did an arrangement of I Wish for Stevie. And I ran into him in the elevator and I said, Stevie, it's Tom the trumpet player from Albuquerque. And he says, it's nice to see you. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. That's great. You've got a great memory. I always, I remember that from last time we spoke about just the years and dates and places and all that, which is really just uh, uh, amazing to catalog all that. Um, another cast member. Too. I, I, you know, I, I had, I played on Funky President. You know, I played on uh, quite a few records that his production company did in the early 70s in New York. Fred Wesley arranged a lot of that stuff. Uh, uh, he was uh, he, he was an incredible presence. Uh, 
and you know, it, was, it was a pleasure to work with him too. Man, what 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 a career! Uh, you made me think about another cast member during the time that you were uh, music director because uh, she had just a great uh, voice, and and there were a few moments that uh, the show gave her to uh, sort of uh, be featured front and center. Uh, it was Christine Ebersol? Do you have a? Oh yes! Oh my goodness! Yeah, I made a demo. I was trying to uh, uh, produce her, and uh, she uh, she made a hit on Broadway, and she was gone, but. Uh, yeah, I did a, uh, what was it? Single Bars and Single Women was the name of the song. Somebody yep. at the show wrote it. Uh, um, um, and uh, so, you know, I produced a demo of that and Dolly Parton grabbed it. Yes. He had a wow. hit on the song. Yeah. I actually made the demo that made that happen. Uh, so, yeah, Christine Ebersol, what an amazing talent. I ran into her at uh, Mark Shaman's birthday party a couple of years ago, too. And uh, she's just... Uh, Still singing great and uh, looking great, and uh, you know, amazing. And, and Mark, I think, uh, you know, piano player and, and writer on the show. But after after you were there, right? I uh, I gave Mark his first job in television. I hired him to be my rehearsal piano player in 1981. <laughs> wow! So John, you know, Mar Mark is who who does the uh, the Sweeney Sisters in the background, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I do know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a big oh, yeah. Part of that. I helped him arrange uh, the movie Sister Act. The scene, the scene, the chase scene in the casino is my arrangement. Yeah, yeah. This is Sweeney Sisters, the twelfth greatest SNL characters of all time, according to the SNL community. So, uh, <laughs> so, so um, <laughs> but um, Tom. So I did tell. Uh, we have some patrons, which are some of our uh, biggest supporters, the the podcast listeners. I told them that I was going to be talking to you today, and yes. I did get a couple questions in from them. So if you don't mind, um, I'll ask you a couple questions. This one is from our friend Curly Joe, who would like to know if you were part of coming up with the original theme of. Saturday Night Live, and do you have any input on how they would change the theme song each of the first few years of the show? Well, uh, uh, I I did I did uh, some arranging on the on the original theme, and um, uh, when I was when I became the musical director, I wrote my own theme. I actually composed my own theme that ran those four years, but uh, I tried to keep it in the same genre, you know, uh, as as the original stuff. And, uh, you know, it was basically uh, Lou Marini playing a solo over a chord progression. So, uh, you know, I kind of kept that going. And I think we kept the original closing theme, uh, you know, the, the one that the waltz. was credited with. But it was actually from a piece of church music. It was just the chord progression from a um, uh, Methodist, Methodist or Episcopal gospel song. And they just played the chords and Lou Marini improvised the melody on top of that. That's, that's cool. Um, this one is from our friend Ike Moore, who wants to know, uh, do you have a personal favorite sketch in the history of Saturday Night Live that would be your favorite? Well, you know, I'd have to say the Blues Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I figured as much. Uh, do you still watch the show? Is there any time you get to catch it, or, you know, since you weren't, uh, you weren't there anymore, like past 85? Oh, yeah. I, I rarely watch television at all. I like being on the shows, but I, you know, as far as sitting around the house watching TV, I'm, I'm, I really go in the studio and play some music. You know, that's my, fair. You know, record some music or uh, uh, just you know do something else. I, I, I love being on the shows. I was only on uh, 4,500 TV shows during my career. <laughs> right. Exactly. I only really wrote 
around 2,700 arrangements for TV. Well, one, one time, now, you know, you think, oh, arranging music must be easy. Well, no, the problem is that there's always a deadline that you're confronted with. One time uh, I'm at Letterman's show and Paul Schaefer uh, grabs me after the show and he says, uh, Renee Fleming's going to do the top 10 tomorrow. We need 13 opera excerpts by oh the in the morning. And he has, here's a CD with the 11 opera excerpts. And here's her recent CD. So figure out what keys you should sing them in. Now, the way it's supposed to be done is that you get together with the piano and the singer and you figure out what key is going to be the best one for her. So uh, then Paul says, okay, Bones, how are we going to pull this off? I said, I'll play flute. Aaron, our sax player, will play oboe. We'll hire a clarinet player and a French horn player, and you'll play the string parts, you know, because I, 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 I can arrange for orchestra and opera and all that. And so um, I stayed up all night, got it done, uh, showed up at rehearsal 11 in the morning. One song is in the wrong key. Transposed it to my computer, printed it out in Paul's office right next door to the rehearsal place. And all night I stayed up, I was thinking to myself, Renee Fleming, she's going to be a, a pain to work with. She's going to be, a, you know, like a, a diva. She turned out to be delightful, great sense of humor, easy to work with. And the, you can see that on, on YouTube. Uh, do uh, David Letterman top 10 Renee Fleming. That's incredible. So you mentioned the, the, the fast pace, the deadlines. I mean, is that, is that the adrenaline push of the, of the television that, that kept, it, uh, kept it fun, you know, I guess? Just the, well, yeah. the, the, the ride, right? It's it from being boring. Uh, Absolutely, and there's you know there's nothing more deadly than the deadline of a live TV show. There's no oh I didn't quite finish it uh, maybe uh, next week no you got it so uh, I got used to doing things quickly. Yeah, that that makes sense. I do have a couple more questions from our listeners. So uh, if Tom, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll ask you those. This has been a big question. Would you ever see David Letterman hosting Saturday Night Live? Do you think it could happen? Should it happen? Uh, I I like that idea. I, I, I would love to see that. Uh, Dave Dave is actually a very, very nice guy. Uh, he was always sort of distant while we were doing the show. In his own words, he says, I'm either doing a show or I'm thinking about doing a show. And so, you know, when he would go from the, the office building to the studio, they would uh, uh, clear the hallways, clear the elevators. You know, he didn't. He didn't have to run into people and say, you know, how are you doing? Have a nice day or any of that. It's just, you know, because he's concentrating on what he had to do. But in the long run, very nice guy. He took very good care of me and the people in the band. And uh, have only good things to say about David Letterman. I'd love to see him on Saturday Night Live. That would be just. That'd be a great payoff. You know, he's got the big Santa Claus beard now. He hated to shave. You know, so he would come in on on Mondays, and you know, would have three or four days growth, uh, and uh, so now he doesn't have to shave. Yeah, he's like a former Yankee. Like now, he gets to let the beard out. Um, <laughs> but uh, so uh, the other, yeah. So Tom, if uh, Dave ever hosted SNL, would we see you back with the SNL band just for that one night? Do you think we can get that tap? I, I I I'd be there. I I'd be there right there. Yeah, maybe maybe Schaefer would show up. Yeah. You know, It'd be fun. That'd be amazing. Maybe, uh, maybe they throw the David Letterman band back together for a one shot. You know, that would be maybe we could be the best the guest music on that show. I mean, that would really work. You know, Will be Willie very and cool. Trisha Collins and uh, uh, Anton Fig and uh, and all all the people. All right, SNL producers, are you listening? 
uh, <laughs> that, that could be fun. Um, you, have you ever been back to the show at all, either for, you know, for one of the anniversary shows or been in the I, building? I went to the, uh, let's see, was it 25th or 35th or 40th or something? I went to, yeah, I went to, uh, uh, I think it was the 25th. And it was quite a, uh, yeah, Garrett Morris was still around and uh, uh, Chevy Chase showed up. And uh, yeah, oh, it was just, uh, it was really nice to see everybody again. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the whole history of the whole thing. It was just great. So coming up, uh, we've got uh, this weekend. It's it's an the inaugural, uh, the first of many, hopefully, a Blues Brothers Con, a Blues Brothers Conference at Joliet uh, Penitentiary, where the opening scene for the Blues Brothers film takes place. And you are going to be there. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and how this came to be, Tom. Well, uh, I just I, I I heard about this event from Judy Belushi. And uh, she was saying, well, you know, uh, maybe maybe you want to come. And uh, so I, I contacted uh, Dan Aykroyd and, you know, well, can I sit in with the band? Sure. So uh, we're, we're flying in. And uh, uh, it's it's the Blues Brothers, uh, Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi. And they have their own band of guys from L.A. And uh, one of them is an old friend of mine from school from more than 50 years ago. And so uh, I hooked up with him and we're uh, we're going to. I'm going to play with the band again. And I'm just, I'm so excited about this. And I'm also excited about the fact that uh, Joliet uh, prison is no longer a prison. It's uh, been decommissioned and sure. instead of tearing the place apart, they're turning it into a blues brothers museum because it's, you know, the most famous thing about Joliet is that beginning of the movie, you know, it's Joliet, Jake and Elwood blues, you know, Elwood picks them up in the car that he traded a microphone for, you know, an old cop car. <laughs> that reminds me of another story. Um, uh, Dan Aykroyd, you know, after the Blues Brothers movie, uh, is still around New York. Uh, he says, Bones, if you ever need a car, let me know. You know, that was just renting cars. I had a country house and I had a loft in the city and I would drive up to the house in 35 acres up in Putnam County uh, on the weekend. I just rent cars and write it off. And so one weekend I forgot to make a reservation and I needed a car. So Dan, Dan, do you have a car I can borrow? He says, Go to the Morton Street Garage and tell me what the police car. It was a, it was a police car from the movie. You know, it had, it had uh, wires hanging out of the top because, you know, it had this, they torn off the speakers and it had um, cardboard boxes taped over the badges on the side of the uh, vehicle. You know, so, it was, so it wouldn't be illegal. You know, you can't just drive one that has identification on it. So, uh, and uh, my kids loved it. And we're, so we're driving up to the country. And the car would not go 55. You could be going around, cruising around 50. You just push it a little bit, and suddenly the car just jumps. And it was, you know, it was a pursuit engine with a, you know, a, a linkage, a linkage to the four barrel carburetor. And uh, I was tailed by the cops a couple of times, and you could see them calling it in. But you know, apparently the car was clean, and so uh, they backed off. And uh, uh, anyway, we had a lot of fun with the car that weekend. You needed a car, so you ended up driving that car from the film. That's amazing. Yeah, that's that's a great story. Uh, so just to for all the listeners who don't know anything about the Blues Brothers Con, so that is taking place this weekend, August 19th and 20th in Joliet, Illinois. So uh, tickets, I believe, are still available for the event. So if you'd like to go out and get a ticket, uh, you can come see Tom alone yourself. Uh, so that'll be fun to be there. And also uh, Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi performing. There's some other blues bands that are going to be there. So uh, it seems like it's a really incredible event, uh, especially for anybody in the SNL community who wants to go and celebrate the Blues Brothers. 
I think you uh, go go to JolietJail.com or go to Blues Brothers Con C O N uh, to to find out more information about it. But it's you know they're actually saving the prison and making it into a, a, a museum for the Blues Brothers. They have reconstructed the interior of Bob's Country Bunker. They have uh, recreated the uh, the scene on Maxwell Street, you know, where John Lee Hooker performs, uh, and several other things. Uh, I haven't been there myself, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to going there and seeing all the stuff. Uh, you know, we're, we're saving this for eternity. It's a, it's a nonprofit organization, as far as I understand, that Judy and Dan have, have set up. And so we're, we're keeping the Blues Brothers alive after 42 years. Uh, it's still, it's still, people still tell me it's the best movie they ever saw. Yeah, it's it's one of the best for sure, and I think obviously uh, keeping the memory of John alive, you know, through the Blues Brothers is just uh, really important for anybody who you know loved him from either the movie or from SNL. It's just uh, it's it's really really great. I'm sure the band will be playing all your favorite Blues Brothers songs, and there's a whole a whole bunch of uh, um, interviews and, um, uh, and all kinds of activities for the whole weekend. It's like all day every day. So uh, uh, really looking forward to. Uh, hanging out and uh, and seeing people from my past and uh, re- bringing the music back alive. Sure. That is incredible. And you have, uh, your, your career is far reaching. You've played and, and, and worked with so many folks, uh, both in the musical endeavor and, and comedy. It's just, this has been a pleasure for sure. Oh yeah. yeah. Tom, thank you so much for doing this. I, I can't uh, thank you enough. Is there anything that you would like to say to the SNL community? We have fans from all eras of the show, people who have watched the show when you were there. Is there anything that else that you would like to tell them? Well, uh, just um, uh, enjoy life, enjoy music and, and enjoy comedy. Uh, I, I learned so much about um, how comedy goes together and how comedy and music goes together when I was there. So uh, just, uh, uh, enjoy the show. Uh, you know, you see, you see talent leave the show and you see new talent come in. I mean, that's been the springboard for so many huge actors and actresses, you know, that have been amazingly successful, you know, in other TV shows or movies or stuff like that. You know, I'm thinking maybe Bill Murray might've been the, the biggest person to come out, you know, in the long run. And I played him uh, at the, uh, the Kennedy center in, in, uh, DC when, uh, you know, he got the uh, Mark Twain Comedy Award, <laughs> and the next year, uh, I was there in the house band to, to bring David Letterman into the Mark Twain Award. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's just a great it's just a great show, and it continues to be great. For sure. Well, it's an absolute honor getting to speak to you. So thrilled to get to hear some of the stories of your time at SNL and the rest of your incredible career. Uh, Tom, I'm just going to wrap up the show just for a couple minutes, if you don't mind. And of course, we will do one last plug for the Blues Brothers Con. So, uh, you know, if you're checking out this SNL stories in the middle of August, thanks for checking us out over the summer where you have an incredible patron podcast series where we're counting down the greatest SNL characters of all time. You'll have to keep watching to see if the Blues Brothers do make the list or not. So check out that series as we we get the fan results from everybody in the SNL community. And uh, of course, if you do love the Blues Brothers, there is no better weekend to come out and celebrate them this weekend in Joliet. So Tom, would you mind just telling the listeners one last time where they can get those tickets this well, weekend? Well, it's uh, jolietjail.com slash bluesbrotherscon, C-O-N. Uh, and uh, uh, it's it's going to be an exciting weekend with all kinds of stuff going on. And uh, we're, we're immortalizing the prison in Joliet.
in a very positive way. Uh, I can't wait to be there. And I uh, hope, hope uh, all your fans show up. Absolutely. Well, James, thank you for joining us today on SNL Stories. Always a pleasure to hear from you. Absolutely. Thank you, John. Thank you yeah, for having for sure me on, can... guys. It's a pleasure to hang of with course. you guys. Of course. And if you want to catch any of our shows here at the SNL Network, you can find us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, really wherever you listen to podcasts. And also find us on all social platforms, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram to catch up with everything we are doing. We may have some content from this weekend at the Blues Brothers Cons as we are uh, promoting that for the weekend. So uh, looking forward to that. And thank you to the sponsors of the SNL Network for keeping it alive, keeping it on. Yes, I, I appreciate that as well, Tom. All right, for Tom Bones Malone, James P. Stevens Jr., and myself, John Schneider, from the SNL Network, we will see you next time, everybody.